Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the third in a series of four Beef Watch webinars held in the month of February focused on stocker and yearling management. This comes from the Tuesday, February 16th webinar with Dr. Howden Clark that focused on utilizing corn residue for high-risk stockers. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Clark. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Glad to be here. Dr. Clark, you gave a presentation on some experience you've had the last couple of years looking at the possibility of utilizing corn residue in the fall and winter as a way to receive and grow high-risk stockers. Share with us a little bit more background around how this project developed and evolved and some of the things that you've learned over the last couple of years. Well, so this project has been in my mind for several years in an area of the state where there's very plentiful uh, corn residue. And a lot of it goes ungrazed just because there's not enough animals in our immediate area to cover all the acres. There are a few other producers in the area that bring in cows and put them on big expanses of corn stalks through the winter. And that works well for some of them. And and a lot of that is based on long-term family relationships with, with the cattlemen from further west where they have plenty of summer pasture and they send those cattle out east to our area for winter corn stalks. Uh, there are a number of corn farmers in our area that are interested in, in cattle projects, but don't necessarily have those long-term relationships with uh, ranchers further west. So finding cows to put on the stalks may not be very easy for them. For the last several years, I've had in mind, what about using crop residue here in Nebraska, similarly to the way wheat pasture is used on the southern plains for high-risk stalkers? My thinking has been that there may not be enough of a profit margin to to justify putting regular market uh, priced Nebraska calves on crop residue, like purchasing calves, running them on corn stalks for the winter, and then immediately selling them. It'd be a lot of investment and a lot of uh, financial risk just due to the short time span that you'd own the cattle. Uh, and then for a fairly slim profit margin at market average prices. So my thinking has been that if discounted calves are a a piece of the puzzle, there might be a little bit less risk with doing that type of a project and putting those kind of calves on corn stalks through the winter. And then another piece of it as well is the hope that by putting those fairly fragile animals in an extensive environment out, out grazing instead of straight directly into a pen in the Nebraska winter, we might have some better health outcomes. There are a number of small research studies that suggest that health outcomes on pasture or wheat pasture are significantly better than in a pen environment, which really comes as as not a great shock to a cattleman that when they're spread out grazing, there are fewer effective contacts and uh, fewer chances to spread the types of pathogens that can lead to BRD. So that's been the hope. There's been a number of, uh, as I think through what a project like that would look like, it didn't feel like something I can recommend without ever having tried it myself. Some of the things that come to mind are the weather, number one, and, and keeping the calves behind the fence, how, how well they're going to stay in, what we're going to use to supplement, because there's going to be a need for at least some extra protein when those calves are out on corn stalks. And so basically the project came about 
in conversations with two friends that are farmers uh, in this same area, they decided that amongst the three of us that we'd just give it a try and just see how it went. So this past winter, well, last November, we purchased a semi-load of calves through a friend of a friend who's an order buyer in uh, Missouri. So they got a group of uh, mostly bulls purchased for us and sent up. And we spent the winter taking care of them until just a couple weeks ago and we got them sold. And so we've we've learned a lot here in the last little while. And I'd say overall, a lot of things went really well. We certainly have some things we can work on and uh, learn from. And so we're hoping to build on what we've learned and, and go a little deeper and further next year. Well, Dr. Clark, I think the saying that experience is one of the best teachers, you've certainly got some experience this year. And I guess give some perspective on some things you've learned in terms of managing these high-risk calves. So for many producers, they're thinking you just got a load of calves that came out of Missouri. A lot of those are bulls. They made the trip to Nebraska in the fall of the year, which oftentimes is also when we see quite a bit of incidents of BRD and things like that. What was your experience as you managed these calves? How did you manage that health risk? And how did you walk through and try to address some of these challenges with the plan you had to receive and handle these calves? So we got them on a Friday. They came Friday morning after they they sold at a Thursday sale in Missouri. So the trucking company loaded them up immediately on conclusion of the sale and sent them up, which right away, number one was something that, that I liked a lot. Uh, knowing that they had as short a time as possible from when they left their farm of origin until they arrived at our at our pen in Nebraska, it should bode well for their, their future health performance. Keeping that under 24 hours really keeps the stress from becoming chronic. It's, it's more of an acute stress that they go through instead of a long, drawn-out, extended chronic stressor. So that's one thing that I really wanted was to keep that keep within that 24-hour time period. Another thing we did was to get a loaded and unloaded truck weight so that we could estimate shrink on the calves as they came in. So we had a 4% shrink, which for an eight-hour truck ride, that's, that was actually, we were pretty pleased with that. And then right off the bat, we had feed and water available. And the calves, most of which we felt like had not probably ever been run through a chute prior to the auction, were actually fairly used to people, used to machines, used to four-wheelers and pickups, and were very willing to come off the truck and get a big drink of water. We had three tanks ready for them when they got off. And then uh, we had some alfalfa hay and some cornstalk bales and some uh, some of our feed mix in the bunk for them when they got there. And they really went right after it. So we were, we were pleased by that. The next decisions that we had to make were what to do with our on-arrival processing. About 70 of the calves were bulls versus about 18 steers. So the choice was whether to castrate on arrival, which is going to up our health risk, but then it's done and over with. It was a good weather at the time that we were going to do our processing. And so that was a piece of the puzzle. If we delayed castration about eight weeks, then we might help ourselves with less of a less of a health risk, not stacking stressors at the beginning of the of the feeding period, but we'd also have bigger animals. And we know that castrating bigger animals is is harder on them. And then also it there's no guarantee that we'd have nice weather then either. That would have put it around Christmas time. So we decided to do it on arrival. Another part of that decision was 
hoping not to get discounts at sale for stags, animals that appear to have been castrated too late and already have some bullish characteristics. So that was that was how we made that decision. And with all those stressors up front, we decided that metaphylaxis was going to be the way we wanted to handle some of that risk. So we did a Zactran metaphylaxis on those calves, meaning a shot of an antibiotic up front, knowing that they're at high risk of respiratory disease. We did a surgical castration and we used meloxicam boluses and uh, lidocaine into the cords as pain control to hopefully lessen some of the stress there. And as soon as we were done with our initial processing, they all went right up to the bunk when we filled it that, that afternoon. So we were hopeful that the pain management paid off. Uh, and then after that, we our hope was to get them out of the pen, trained to a hot wire and out of the pen and onto the stock field as soon as we could. And it was somewhere in the neighborhood of three days. I can't remember exactly if that if it was exactly three or maybe four, four days in. We had a little, we were calling it our dipstick fence that went out into the middle of the pen and it was just a little strand of hot wire on two posts and they knocked it down a few times. And when it stopped getting knocked down, then we let them into a two acre pasture. And then after that, and a day later, we let them out into the stock field. Then we did a pull and treat after that. So anything that was not particularly interested in coming to the feed bunk each morning or looked sick at all in any other way, we would pull and uh, get a shot into them. And uh, we ended up doing that with about 12 calves, and we had to retreat three of those. And we ended up losing three total and had one, one calf become a chronic. And then the other 84 looked real good, and they went on and finished out the time with us on the stocks. So that's, that's about how the health program shook down this year. Talk a little bit about the feeding strategy you had. You mentioned you fed the calves daily. What was occurring there? What were you feeding? What was the targeted level of gain you were seeking to get as the calves are grazing corn stalks? Our ration was four pounds of distiller's grains per head per day and four pounds of cracked corn per head per day mixed at a local feed mill. And then we had our co-product balancer mineral mixed in as well that had plenty of calcium to balance the phosphorus that's in that grain. So uh, we were targeting about two pounds per head per day of gain. And um, when we sold them, that's right where we were. So we were very pleased with the gain. It was just exactly where we thought thought we were going to be and hoped we were going to be. So that seemed to go really well. I think they'd probably never been on corn stalks before and they picked it up pretty fast. They spent the first day or two grazing around the edges, getting the grass that was around the edges of the field. And then after that, they'd be out in the out in the corn stalks every day with their heads down. And judging from their fill, it looked like they learned the program pretty quick and filled right up and and uh, stayed on those corn stalks for about 90 days. As you look back on the project and you think about some of the things you've learned and some of the experience you'll utilize as you think about what you might do in the future, what are some lessons learned and some things that you think producers who are evaluating this as a possibility should think through and consider? Well, one of the surprises that I'll, I'll mention right off the bat it was the uh, emotional, raw feeling of losing some of your own animals. I think that's something that I've heard from feedlots and from feedlot employees that caring for animals that are having a health break is, is pretty stressful. And as, even as a veterinarian, you know, I've worked with clients uh, on uh, lots of those kinds of situations through through some of those situations. and But it was never 
never my animals. And it's, it's a pretty emotional experience to have animals you're responsible for getting sick and, and some of them even dying. So I'd say I, ahead of time, I didn't really have the cost of that in my mind as clearly, and I do now. So there's, there's certainly a cost there. That's a fairly unpleasant experience, especially when you're, you know, three, four weeks into a project and you just don't know how bad it's going to get. But thankfully things smoothed out and we ended up within the bounds of what we would consider to be fairly expected amounts of, of sickness in those calves, certainly more than we wanted. You always hope for, you always hope for none, but that wouldn't be, wouldn't be very uh, likely in a group like that gathered from as many farms as they're gathered from and then uh, having to be castrated on arrival like that. So that was one thing that uh, was uh, was a basically a surprise in the project. I'd say another thing that was a very uh, pleasant surprise in the project was how quick the other two guys that I worked with, they had basically never had cattle, but they'd helped neighbors from time to time. They picked it up right away and were very proficient animal handlers. So that was really fun to see. I think, you know, as far as if we modify the project a little bit for next year, some of the things we might think about were, would be either going to smaller animals on arrival or maybe bigger steers on arrival. We It would just depend kind of on what we were trying to target as far as sales. And another thing I'd say is I'd, I'd really want to uh, do my homework on the marketing side and try to figure out yeah, if we decide to sell them, you know, really try to dial in on what our local feedlots would really like and the timing that they'd really like it to be in and, and have some of those conversations before the purchase uh, just to try to align those, align those things a little bit better. And then one other thing that we've considered is if we did a little bit smaller scale project, we might actually be able to finish the animals. So um, that's, that's one thing that we've talked about a little bit too. So yeah, lots of tinkering that we could do with it, but overall, having them out on corn stalks and uh, it just seemed like a pretty nice way for them to spend the winter. And there's certainly some efficiencies that we can capture there from a feed standpoint. So I think it's something that we're hoping to build on. Anything else on this, Dr. Clark, you'd like to add as we point towards wrapping this up? I'd say if you are considering something like this, getting in touch with uh, somebody who has some experience doing some buying and selling is, is a a real important relationship to have. And then also having a relationship with your veterinarian is another really important relationship to have and, and asking them to poke holes in your idea, tell you what sounds iffy, what sounds like maybe, you know, what am I not seeing? What am I not thinking about? Asking those kinds of questions I think would be really good. And then I'd say work as hard as you can to keep your overhead low and to buy a minimum of equipment because you'll, you'll need to be pretty, lean and mean to make things work for owning cattle for a fairly short time. Well, thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Clark. Thanks for having me. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, this is the third in a series of four webinars held in the month of February, focused on stalker and yearling management. And this was held on February 16th. The title of the webinar, using corn residue for high-risk stalkers, current experiences. And that webinar has been recorded and is available for viewing at the beef.unl.edu website.